as we continue to engage in this practice of being conscious, embodied and awake, moment by moment. We find quite naturally there's a a deepening, a developing of this capacity to see clearly what's taking place, to recognize the experiences that are arising and passing. And we can see that all experiences are expressing and revealing the simple truth of impermanence, of change. And so we don't need to hold on or to resist. It doesn't make really much sense as we see more clearly how each breath dissolves into the next. How each sensation in the body appears only to disappear. How thoughts and emotional processes likewise manifest and then dissolve. And in terms of paying attention to the wholeness, the fullness of our experience, there are different elements we can begin to more fully and consciously include and turn towards that, are, that it will be useful in terms of our practice. We've spoken a lot about using the body as a primary reference. The aspects of body, including breathing, including the posture, And this continues to be immensely helpful as a foundation for attentiveness, for presence, for embodied wakefulness. And what we perhaps also begin to notice and what begins to stand out to us is that the condition of our mind also keeps changing. And we can perhaps begin to notice certain patternings, tendencies appearing in the mental landscape, different atmospheres that colour or shape our perception. And this is one of the areas that the Buddha invited us to give careful attention to to become aware of and reflect upon and the word the Buddha used was citta which we don't have an exact translation for but I think the best is heart-mind so it's not just mental activity but it's also the resonant emotional feeling aspects of our experience that are together with mind and heart as we tend to call them 
that are touched by experience and respond. And what we can begin to notice is that the the condition of this heart-mind, this citta, is often flavoured or conditioned or coloured in certain ways. And it's a little bit like wearing coloured glasses, spectacles. When there's a, a bright or a happy mind state arising, we might see the world around us as something completely 100% delightful. All the people look beautiful, the guy house is just immaculate, and the food is delicious. And the meditation is wonderful. And in another moment, and perhaps not so far distant in time, we might be feeling more flat or depressed or disconnected. And from this perspective, it seems that, you know, Guy House is rather grey and the food is tasteless and meditation is pointless. And all the people around us look kind of like zombies. or We don't feel any resonance. And there might be another time when we're feeling more reactive. There's a, a resistant, an angry, aversive or irritable mind state. And everyone else is kind of annoying. And the food's definitely been done wrong. And guy house needs a good paint job. And the meditation is just like stupid. Isn't there a better way to do this? And it's our mind, when we don't see the state of mind that's arisen, we tend to identify with it. We tend to take it to be real. And we tend to take the perceptions that appear in it as objectively true. And inevitably we end up also forming a conclusion about ourselves and the world and the world based on this. So we can begin to notice what it's like. How the appearance of the world and the perception of ourself changes just as the states of heart and mind change. We're perhaps familiar with the the expression sometimes associated with falling in love of looking through rose-coloured spectacles. Just seeing everything coloured in a certain way because of the emotional resonance that in this case may be quite lovely. And to see equally how when the colouring is more dark or gloomy we likewise tend to somehow imagine that this is how things are and fail to recognise that it's simply how they appear in this moment. And so just as the weather comes and goes, changes, or at times settles in for a little while, but nonetheless eventually shifts, so two states of mind are something to notice, to see, ah, kind of looks like this from here. That doesn't mean that that is the truth of the experience. 
or the truth of the situation. So being able to name when the mind feel contract, mind and heart feel contracted or tight, that it's like this. When the mind and heart feel expansive, noticing that too. And the instruction and the invitation is not to somehow try and adjust or to fix it. Even if the mind is reactive, just to notice, oh, it's reactive right now. But in that noticing we could see perhaps that we can find the possibility of not being identified (coughs) with it, not having to believe the story of the reactivity. But just notice it. We might see when the experience is difficult, the, the conclusions we form about it might be to do with, it's hopeless, I can't do this, it's no good, I want to go home. And we kind of take birth in the situation. We imagine some permanence or solidity to this particular experience. And yet inevitably it changes too. And likewise things might be seeming to go well. We might start to think, great, I've got here. This is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. And some grasping, some taking hold and the mind settling into that position. If we can just notice this, we don't have to resist or struggle with the experience, but nor do we have to believe the story that it tells us. When we don't notice fully the experience of, or the arising of a, of a colouring in the mind, a mind state, we say, or a heart-mind condition, we tend to identify with it. We take it to be real, to be true, to be saying something absolute about me or about the world. And often then we find ourselves drawn into the story about how that came to be. But <coughs> how it is that I am like this or how it is that the world is like that. And what that means for my life going forward. So in the practice, when we notice there's something taking place, and we, we, we feel a story or a, a colouring appearing in the mind that's sort of flavouring our way of seeing and viewing, to just pause and notice, oh it's, oh, it's anger. It's the mind with anger or craving. This is the mind with craving, wanting. Or this is the mind with confusion, doubt. Not judging, just acknowledging. And taking a moment to step back from the story that would confirm it, that tells us all the reasons why it is so, and elaborates on the implications for our future. And just check in with what does it feel like in my body when this is taking place? So the mind is contracted. How does that feel? Mind is expansive. What's that like in my body? 
So we ground the experience in the in the physicality that's a more useful reference point. And when there's something with some charge, with some strength, maybe we're feeling really distressed. Just again inviting us, so where do I feel that in my body? What's that like? Can I make space for this experience? If we can feel what's going on that's related to or that's resonating with the mental activity, if we can come into the body and ground our attention in this, we're much less likely to be lost in or carried away by the stories. And so we don't need to judge or reject in any way the different states of mind, the stories and the reactivities that arise, but simply observe, acknowledge them. And to be compassionate with ourselves, to see how we sometimes get completely drawn in. This old expression when I was at school, I don't know if you have it here, but you know, sucked in, chewed up and spat out when someone sort of tricked you. And sometimes it feels like that with the states of mind that arise. We don't quite see them for what they are. We become lost in them. And then at some point we kind of sort of find ourselves no longer there wondering, oh my gosh, what happened? So usually what happened is we didn't see, we didn't identify, we didn't recognize the state of mind that had arisen. And as we become curious about this, as we notice, pay attention to this, and we name what we see, it's just here, this is what's happening. Perhaps begin to just acknowledge these conditions that arise in the heart and mind. It's like the weather (coughs) that passes over the fields and the land. It's not in our control. And yet there may be appropriate responses for different weather patterns, for different states of mind and heart. But in all cases, understanding it's not for us to try and control them or to judge them. But to see, can I meet this condition? Can I be here in this place and bring a brightness and a gentleness to my experience? Noticing where we identify with the state of mind. Where we start to believe that it's telling me something about who I am. That I'm like this or I'm like that. 
This is the way we construct the appearance of of a self that is separate. When the when we look, when we see more deeply, more carefully, we see the experience is fluid and changing. And therefore it cannot give any reliable or fixed definition of who we are. It perhaps tells us where we are, and that's useful. Well, this is where I find myself. And then to see what's useful, what's skillful. Sometimes we need to move towards and feel into what's happening in the body. Sometimes it's helpful to back off a little, give it a bit of space. Just notice where we feel more ease or ground or space. But understanding as we find what's useful and skillful to meet the experience that it is simply something that comes and goes. And this capacity to meet and see clearly what is happening. To allow ourselves to feel deeply each experience without taking hold of it or pushing it away. That this remarkable capacity is always available to us. We can always come back to and re-establish ourselves in this. And this provides the ground for our practice. And so we continue, moment by moment, breath by breath. Just exploring what it is, what is possible for us right now in this practice of embodying wakefulness. Continuing to use the breathing in the body as the foundation for connection. Being present. But being open to noticing the other experiences that come and go. Sensations in the body, the sound. colouring and flavourings of the heart and mind that arise and pass. And the simple stillness of wakeful presence
and kindly receptivity. We come to trust these more and more. as the ground for our practice and for our life.
this practice asks quite a lot. To give ourselves wholeheartedly to this process is demanding at times. And yet we also see that through this there's a there's a natural settling, a deepening, an opening that takes place. To really allow that to continue. To really support the stillness in this in this room can be really helpful. And so being really mindful of of that, we would like to ask that you just aware of arriving at the beginning of the sitting and, uh, and to acknowledge that sometimes, of course, for various reasons we don't. And sometimes with interviews we have to come in late. But for yourselves, generally there's not anything else going on, as far as I know. So uh, to come at the beginning and to stay through to the end, unless there's some kind of an emergency happening. And if there's an emergency, maybe biological emergency, they happen, then of course do what you need to do. But apart from that, there's just something about staying present. Not just in terms of mindfulness, but in terms of our physical location. And if you need to change your posture or do something to take care of your body, of course, to do so. And doing so within the intention to to remain. And to really dedicate oneself to the sustaining of the practice through the sitting, the walking, the standing. Not kind of getting too casual with the form. It's not that it's somehow rigid or that there's something absolute about it, not at all. In fact, you know, as I sometimes say, we, we kind of just made it up. Um, and every retreat it gets made up a little bit differently. But what it gives us is an opportunity to, to meet certain aspects of our experience, our patterning, our tendencies that we will avoid meeting if we just kind of are casual with things as we sometimes are in life. And so seeing if we can come from a place of, of kindness, of, of interest in seeing what's possible. Like if we've never gone through a whole walking meditation period and walked for a whole period. We've always found ourselves sort of sneaking off up to our bedroom or sort of sitting down with a cup of tea and sort of having some ple- pleasant sort of warm tea-induced fantasy um, you know, to see what would it be like to just walk through this period. So the sitting ends and we begin walking. We keep practicing until the bell rings, we come back into the hall. Or standing, likewise. And just see what that might bring, what that might give. There's a kind of a surrendering involved here. That doesn't mean abandoning our ability to take care of ourselves or to respect where we might encounter very genuine limitations in what's possible, but which also means relinquishing or not giving ourselves, not giving in to the, the tendencies that sometimes might take us away from what's most important, that are often to do with 
just sort of seeking to stay in a more comfortable zone. So much richness, so much discovery is available when we're willing to go a little bit closer to the edges of that, but without pushing, without forcing or without demands, and yet with more of an invitation. So much more is possible for us than we sometimes imagine, than we sometimes believe. And this practice is really an invitation to discover that vast and remarkable potentiality of our human existence. 